And the NFL offseason is really, really here. Kevin Bowen back, another edition of Kevin's Corner. Chris Presley is across the way. Um, it's February 9th, Tuesday, around lunchtime we are recording this. I feel like that's important to say in a news cycle that you never know when yep. things will will break. Uh, so we'll cross our fingers that we can get through the next hour or so, and it'll at least be somewhat timeless um, as we get into your inbox throughout the rest of the week, man. Um, this is where we're at next month. We'll be breaking down every scenario you can imagine. We've got Jacob Eason joining us on the podcast later today. Hope you guys enjoyed the Marcus Brady interview from last week. Uh, again, Jacob Eason uh, did an interview with him on JMV, and uh, we'll uh, we'll play that here for those that might have missed it. So he'll be on the pod, and we'll talk a little wideout left tackle, Chris Ballard with Dan Dockich. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, is a, this is a nice chunky pod coming out of the Super Bowl, man. Yeah, this is going to be a pretty, you know, thought-provoking podcast, I would imagine. Um, you mentioned Jacob Eason's going to be on. Really loved his interview. What's your take so far, Kevin, on a lot of the coaching replacements so far with the Colts? Yeah, you know, it's what, a handful, I think five, maybe even six openings. I'm not sure Frankie Ross, special teams assistant, is is the, is the fifth or the sixth. But, um yeah, Press Taylor, you know, it sounds like he'll be the quarterback's coach or passing game, something or other. And then um, Scotty Montgomery, a running back's coach, I think is the other name that we've seen as well, who was a head coach at East Carolina at one point. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of anybody else off the top of my head that I've seen fill in. Um, you know, I I don't want to sound like it's like, you know, I'm ripping on these assistant coaches by any means, but, like, I don't think it's, like, earth-shattering news. I mean, sure, you've had some staff turnover. It's notable, but – you are bringing back the most important positions when you're talking head coach slash offensive system slash play caller and then defensive coordinator mm-hmm. with that defensive system and then a special teams coordinator I think is also key to bring back. So your three most important people on game day you know, are, are going to be back in the building. Um, so we'll see how all that plays out. Again, dominoes you know, continue to fall in that realm. Um, but now we're you know, supposedly or supposed to be, I should say, just a couple weeks away from a normal combine. Obviously, that won't be the case this year. But yeah. we're going to start to get free agency news, trade news, of course. Uh, you know, trickle out. I think over the next few weeks, and once you get to about March, you know, seventh, eighth, that's when you start to get to a lot of re-signings for teams. You know, apply some franchise tag. I think that deadline is kind of right in, in that mix. I think it starts in late February, if I'm not mistaken. And then the new league year on March seventeenth is when um, things really, really get going there. And I think tampering starts two days before that. So uh, we'll obviously hear some news begin then. Uh, before we jump into the pod, your thoughts on Tom Brady and the Bucks um, just really beating the shit out of the Chiefs. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I say that with a lot of regret financially. Yeah, it was one of the most, the least enjoyable Super Bowls in my era of watching, or at least that I remember, I think the... Because Brady was doing the ass-kicking? Not only that, but I think just everything in general, the commercials weren't that great other than Paramount. Good for you for spending millions of dollars every commercial break, it seemed like, doing a commercial. Yeah, they had some wild people in that commercial. Um, the weekend was okay. I mean, he's... I, I knew every song. Nothing wowed me with that. And then just the, the performance on the field wasn't... Wasn't that great. I tweeted out, I'm going to bend the knee, a little Game of Thrones reference. Tom Brady, like I mentioned, I do respect him. Shit, you just have to, I mean, seven Super Bowls. Yeah, it's um, it's, <laughs> it's remarkable, man. Yeah, you know, as far as 
I agree with a lot of what you just said there. We've been a bit spoiled, I think, in Super Bowls. that They have been great, great games over the past, you know, 10, 12 years. This one was certainly not that. I was stunned. I mean, yeah, I thought people were overlooking a bit Kansas City's missing both of their starting offensive tackles. I felt like that was not really, you know, people just kind of overlooked that. Uh, Having said that, you know, Mahomes looked like he was running behind a JV offensive line. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was... You know, it looked like Chad Kelly in the fourth quarter of a preseason game, just <laughs> you know, running for his life back there. And and obviously, when when Tampa needed to make plays offensively, they did. Now, I thought Brady made a great point. I don't think he said this publicly, but as some of his teammates alluded to this, of like he he told his guys all week long, Kansas City's defense, they don't want to tackle. They don't want to tackle Leonard Fournette. And Tampa's got a lot of vested in that offensive line as well. Yeah. And they um they really established that. And I thought. Early on, when Kansas City had chances, I mean, Tampa, I think, punted their first two possessions. You know, that's golden opportunities right, right there from the Chiefs to play from ahead, which is not something we're typically used to them doing in the in the postseason. And the fact that they only got three points early on, it was kind of like, ah, you're playing with fire a little bit. And then just an abomination of the second quarter from a penalty standpoint. Yes, I thought the officiating was way too whistle-happy in that second quarter compared to I watched Green Bay and Tampa play in the NFC title game. I feel like nothing was called. Yeah. Uh, but still, just some dumb, dumb penalties from the Chiefs. And 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 that's where, again, the whole game changed for me there of, you know, it's 14-6. If you go into halftime, you get the ball to start the third. You know, it's still one possession game, all that stuff. And, boy, how many penalties do they have? Gronk got the third down conversion on that final drive. Then Breland trips and falls and hits Mike Evans's foot, and that's called a penalty. And Honey Badger gets a penalty in the end zone on a ball that I thought was – uncatchable, but yep. I guess you got to call it there. And that's where I, I, I really thought it turned. 21-6 now at half, and then the first drive of the third quarter, Kansas City only gets three, and that's a huge win for Tampa. And they go down and score, and that was it. So, yeah, um, yeah, Brady, um, literally, he deserves his own wing in, in Canton, as much as it pains me, and I'm sure a lot of listeners to, uh, for me to say it, and a lot of listeners to hear that, um, in the game of football, guys just don't do no. what he's done. And, no. like, what really stands out to me, Chris, and obviously seven Super Bowls speaks, <laughs> speaks for itself, he had the massive gap there without one. Mm-hmm. And, like, you think those are prime years. Age, what was it, 28 to 30, I think it's like 36? Yeah, if you look at the bookends of his dynasties, there was a huge chunk there in the middle of his prime that he didn't go to a Super Bowl. Right, or, or win. You know, oh, I, yeah, I right. you, know, you know got to, um, you know, the Giants, you know, kind of had his number that's there. True, that's and, true. And, and, yeah, it, there weren't, you know, that to me, I guess, Chris, stands out the most of, like, the, seven Super Bowls in a decade would be unbelievably incredible. But seven Super Bowls over, you know, 19-some years, 18-some years, two different organizations now, that really, really stands out um, even more to me. So, um, good job. Bruce Arians, I'm happy for I him. I am happy for B.A., uh, yeah. I'm happy for some of those coaches on that staff. But, um, God, financially, oh, man. Nothing like, <laughs> you know, it's late fourth quarter. I still had a couple bets open. I tried to hedge hard with, with Tampa. 
And, and so I, st- I, but I need Kansas City to make it a little bit closer than they did. Mm-hmm. And you know, nothing like Maddie looking at me and saying, "So how much <laughs> did you lose?" And I just, uh, I'm just like, God, I thought you were asleep. I'm like, oh man, can't we? Just yeah, because at that point she's saying, "How much did we lose?" <laughs> yeah, she did. Yeah, key key uh, pronoun usage there. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I'm like, well, I've got some Super Bowl squares. Let me check the squares. Oh, of course not. 18th year, I've just flushed money down the toilet. With I never went on squares. Oh, I never went. How about here? The same woman won the third and fourth quarter. Yeah. Oh. I bought 10. I bought 10 squares. Did you really? Yeah. Gosh. I was like, I'm, I, I got to hit on one yeah, of them, you right? Need, you need to go to the nursing home and play bingo. I know. Uh, no kidding. So, yeah. Good work, Tampa Bay. Sad the season's over. Uh, kudos in the NFL. Incredible. Incredible they pulled it off. Resources obviously help. And being the last big league mm-hmm. to get into it helped. They could learn a whole lot. But still, I don't think we expected every game yeah. to uh, go and, and, and to be on schedule like that as well. So, Let's talk a little bit about, uh, obviously, Kansas City. They got there based on how they've drafted and picked up free agents over the years. A key part of that was Chris Ballard and his tenure there. Yeah. Chris Ballard, the Colts GM, was on with Dan Dockich, our afternoon host, last week. What were some of your takeaways on that 40-minute interview? And if people haven't listened to it, you can go to, obviously, our YouTube page. Scroll down here a little bit, and you'll be able to, to see that interview. But I thought it was very candid and open, as Chris Ballard always is. Certainly. And you know Dan does not hold back with any punches there and mm-hmm. did not either in that interview. So I always enjoy it. It's kind of been a late January, early February ritual for those two. Um, you know, again, as we record this on Tuesday morning, I did, you know, he definitely didn't deny Carson Wentz <laughs> rumors. Uh, you know, not today, I believe, was the, what was the comment he made about right. a trade possibly going down. And uh, that's that's a pretty vague answer, you know, when when you look at it from a breaking news standpoint. Obviously, he quickly put out Andrew Luck fires even more than Jim Irsay <laughs> did, and uh, that was to be expected. Um, I guess let's just start with quarterbacks. There, I think we have a question about Jacoby in the Twitter questions, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. So let's maybe hold off on Jacoby thoughts there. Let, let, let's get to Eason. I thought what stood out to me was. Dan asked him very directly, is he smart? Chris answers, yes, he's smart. That's important. Duh, you know, people will say, but it's, it is it is important because, again, he's grasping a different system. And, like, I think what we have to keep in mind, too, is about, you know, Jacob Eason was in two vastly different scenarios in college. You start as a true freshman at Georgia? Yeah. There's going to be some sort of, dude, you got to have one hand tied behind you. We can't empty the playbook in a night game. You know, against Auburn. Like, we just can't do that. Sorry. And then, of course, Washington, he comes there, much different offense system as well. And it was his first year, you know, playing for them. So I just think how he grasps a playbook, how he handles what an NFL system is all about, um, I thought that was important. But then Dan followed up with, is he tough? And I thought Chris was very, very honest in saying, we think he's tough, but we don't know if he's tough. And, and that's what I keep on getting back to. Like, I mentioned this when I filled in for JMV last Tuesday. Will Carroll, who, you know, you guys have heard him on our airwaves mm-hmm. and uh, kind of an injury expert in town, he tweeted something to the effect of, like, man, I keep on talking to Colts people and they just don't know about Jacob Eason. And, like, said it, it, it caught me as, like, he was surprised at that tone. How would they know? I mean, when you're talking about the quarterback position, mm-hmm. I don't think there's a position in sports, Chris, that's more different from practice than a game than a quarterback. 
you literally wear a different color jersey because right. people aren't supposed to touch you, yes. let alone hit you. Yes. And now all of a sudden you go in a game, and did you see some of the hits Patrick <laughs> Mahomes took on Sunday night? Just being bent over like just like a corkscrew. I was like, he is more flexible than Rosie Bow, and I'm like, like how? What? How is he getting those throws off? It, like, so that's the toughness element. They thought he was tough at college. Fine. NFL is a different animal. Different animal, folks. And so I think that is just the – we shouldn't be surprised that the Colts don't know. Like, it's difficult. You are trying to project at a position that, again, I think is the toughest to go from practice into a game setting. Um, Quarterback-wise, this is probably my, my biggest takeaway, Chris. Oftentimes, Chris mentioned, you know, league is driven by by the quarterback, this and that, you know, and, and again, he's always hinted at, at that. But I felt like more times than not – he pointed out the fact that maybe you don't need the crazy dynamic quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll and I'll mention a few of these references. To me, that's a bit worrisome. I think you do need the dynamic quarterback. Um, I think again, it is your best opportunity at achieving the long term and the sustained success that we talk about so often. But basically, Chris said, and I have the quote here, we're looking at every avenue to make sure we have a guy who is functional and can produce at a winning level for us. He also says, I would put it this way, if everyone thinks we're just going to all of a sudden plop and a Pat Mahomes or a Lamar Jackson is just going to land in our lap, that's not realistic. Those guys are rare guys. When you get the opportunity to identify a guy like that and then move up to get him, great. Saying that, you can win football games with good quarterback play. It might not be special quarterback play, but you can win with good quarterback play, and we think we can. It's There's a difference, though, in terms of, yeah, you can win. We won with Phillip Rivers, but you don't win at all. Yeah, you know, win in lowercase, win in all caps. Right. Those are different elements of winning. I would call the Colts a, a winning franchise for the most part over the last decade i'd call the patriots or i'd call you know whoever else has won multiple super bowls i guess maybe pittsburgh or someone else that you throw in there you know win in in all caps type of um appearances that have been routine in the month of january you know getting all the way there right we've talked about in this podcast when you look over the last six years and the colts haven't won a division title and haven't won multiple playoff games and over half the NFL have done both those things. That's where you get into, okay, functional is fine. I'm not talking about a week 13 game when you're in a kind of a dire situation and, oh, boy, we got to turn to our backup. You know, we think he's functional. We think he can get it done. But you're talking 16 games. You're talking the month of January. You're talking about Tom Brady going on the road and winning every playoff game this year. That's where it is a different animal to me. And, and and I just thought that was that was interesting from Chris that he referenced that again on several occasions. Um, he mentioned how you know Rivers. Um, the quote was, "I think that's one of the things lost here. There's a way to win every game. How do you do it? Philip finally figured out how to do it. I don't need to make a hero play every game for us to win. Mm-hmm. I can do what is expected. We're good enough on defense and special teams." Yeah. There is a decent amount of validity to that, but again, I, I feel like if you are hesitant or afraid 
to try and take a chance at that position, I think you're always going to have a bit of a cap on how high you can reach and how high you can reach for several years. And I know that might scare some people, but I just think it's reality. So that was interesting to me. I mean, he he made it very clear of what point is is your ability to be aggressive, you know, the the whole balance of aggression versus desperation. And and I I do feel like, you know, some people have have pointed this out of like, you know, aggression and desperation, yes, those are two big different words. But, man, there can also be a fine line Mm -hmm. in that of like if you aren't aggressive to a point, are you teetering close to being desperate? You know, for more off seasons than you than you want to be. So, um, you know, and, and is this the time to be aggressive? When you think about it, Chris, of like the early returns on the twenty twenty two draft class at quarterback aren't great, and you're sitting here with five or six top twenty quarterbacks potentially. Is this the time to say, hey, you know, our need meets? the demand that, that seemingly is is out there for that quarterback group as well. So I guess quarterback related, that's kind of what, what stood out to me. I thought the whole, um, you know, we're not going to be, you know, Twitter's desperate or whatever his quote was about Twitter that he, that he mentioned there. Was that in reference to like the Carson Wentz, some of the, 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 the trade packages? No, yeah, sure. Um, you know, part of me always just thinks the quarterback value just gets driven up, driven up, driven up, driven up. Yep. So, um, I thought he was very, uh, I wouldn't say political, but he was very smart in phrasing. And I don't necessarily think he's wrong completely, but if you notice during the interview, him talking about, um, how much time this team still has left, he's like, oh, we've, I mean, Cracking yeah, the, the window. Yeah, we're just cracking the window. Yeah. Like, we're not all the way there. When when most Colts feel like we are right now in our prime, he made it a point to say, we, we're we still, you know, we still have time. And, and These know, guys are under 26. There's a lot of guys under 26 years of age that we can still develop. And, you know, Chris, that was the point that I made a few weeks back when I rattled off all those names. Remember, You know, I'm mm-hmm. sure people were like, oh, my God, how many players is he going to name? <laughs> but, like, tell me I shouldn't have named all those guys. They are important billion bucks. So, I think we can all acknowledge here, and we have definitely done this, that Jim Mercer calling them a Super Bowl team right now, honestly, is a ludicrous statement. Like, they have massive deeds at key spots. But I thought Chris's analogy of the window is cracking, I kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Because I do think it's cracking. Now, to get that window fully open, you've got to make some big-time, you know, achieve some big-time answers at important spots, as we've alluded to. But again, I feel like from ages 22 to 26, as Chris referenced, there is a lot to like about that group. Mm-hmm. And that's where I come back to the five to seven year window that I've mentioned. I don't think this is two or three years. I don't think this is super win now. I wouldn't be panicking like I would be if I was in New Orleans or the Rams or Chicago or you know, maybe some of these other spots. No, I think the Colts have hit on a lot of solid draft picks and... um it is something that I think you have the opportunity to to continue to build with. He did mention that you know the the, the decisions this offseason he thinks start at quarterback and then go to left tackle. I think at left tackle, which we're, we're going to hit on here in a few minutes, he seems pretty open to Quentin Nelson or Braden Smith, which I was a little bit surprised by. Yeah. Um. Now he he made it very clear. Does it make your team better? Does it make 
your offensive line better? What are you sacrificing by potentially moving one of those guys? It, it was interesting. We had Jeff Saturday on the morning show a few weeks back, and Jeff, and I ended up writing an article on this, he mentioned what's the opportunity cost. I think that's a great way to describe it. Again, of, okay, Nelson at left tackle. Okay, what's Costanzo to Nelson's level of play? Okay, Nelson to left guard. Mm-hmm. What is Danny Pinter coming in for, for Quentin Nelson? You know, like, how do you weigh that? How much better that makes your your entire offensive line? So, um, someone mentioned to me the other day about when you move Nelson over to left tackle, you've got some support around whoever is the new guard in that you have Nelson at left tackle and Ryan Kelly at center. Either of those guys can help out your left guard, which is a good point. I also am like, well, you know, you still are have an unknown to a degree. I mean, Nelson is a bit of an unknown at left tackle. I don't think it's like a panic move or anything like that, but it's certainly an unknown there. Um, The Braden Smith, comment that he made also stood out to me he compared it to and he was talking to an offensive line coach who said it would be like a right-handed golfer learning how to play left-handed yeah hey phil (laughs) yeah um that's pretty drastic you know that's that's a significant you know move and again i will reiterate i don't think brain smith has played on the left side of the line since high school yeah and i'm not gonna act like i know where his kansas city offensive line you know (laughs) played him, but Quint Nelson went to Notre Dame wanting to play left tackle. That that was his desire. Now, you know, when you have the guys that they did up there, you yeah. understand why he didn't play left tackle. But, um, so you, it's at least, I think, been on his mind. But it seems like he's open to it. You know, get your best five on the field. That was the thing that he, you know, obviously kept on saying, which sounds very, very cliche, but I actually believe him there, so... Yeah, those are kind of the big takeaways, Chris. Um, skill group-wise, loves Pittman, loves Taylor, really believes in Paris Campbell, you know, still very much of this is bad luck. And, yeah, I just wrote something on Campbell that I'll post in a couple days. I I forgot he got hurt on the second play of the home opener. Yeah. After six catches for 91 yards in the season opener. Mm-hmm. And the play got hurt on, seven-yard jet sweep. You know, that's getting him an early touch. And Harrison Smith just – wrong place, right place at the right time, wrong place at the wrong time, whatever you want to call it, but just literally hits him in the perfect worst spot possible. And I mean, those Notre Dame guys are just dirty. Oh, God, come on now. <laughs> Harrison Smith was one of my favorite players growing up. Him and Zibby, man. When you talk about God. safeties at Notre Dame growing up, yeah, love it. Yeah, Harrison Smith's had a hell of a, hell of a run here. Yes, he has. Well, um, you want to talk about part of what Ballard mentioned? Some uh, Dan did ask him about T.Y. You want to talk about some wide receiver needs the Colts have? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And, and I guess just real yeah, yeah. Let's just let's just hop into that. Um wide out wise. Okay. We have to, I think, first acknowledge Chris what what Chris Ballard, how he views wide receiver. He's got positions that he loves more than wide out and his philosophy. Mm-hmm. He kind of laughs at his scouts like we rank every damn wide out so high and like that's part of how college football is. Like there's more wide outs to evaluate because teams play more of a spread look. Like right. you know someone with Desmond Patman's senior year sort of college production. <laughs> like that never would have been someone that I think is on a lot of draft radars, but again, when you're in today's college football, you get noticed a little bit more because it's such a pass happy um system, level, whatever you want to call it there. So 
I, I just think we need to acknowledge that that Chris really, really likes the depth in the draft and in free agency at wideout. Mm-hmm. And he's never been a big believer in that position as much as he is at other spots on the team. Um, as far as personnel, again, bullish on Michael Pittman. And deservedly so. What what Pittman gave his team after the catch I thought was a huge element, a missing element. And I think if he can polish up a few things, he's got number one whiteout sort of potential. Um, you can say that it's bad luck with Paris Campbell, but I don't want to put too many eggs in the baskets where you're expecting Campbell to be your number two and then Zach Pascal to be your number three. Like I, To me, that would be a mistake. It'd be too big of a risk. Plus, I also like Campbell in a very specific role. Yeah, you know, I don't want major number two wideout burden on him. I'm kind of like, all right, let's use him in this way. Let's use him in that way. Let's you know, get him touches out of the backfield, things like that. Um, thing about Campbell we should note again, he was durable in college. And, yes, three surgeries and the four injuries in year one, what was it, hernia, hamstring, foot, and finger. I think were the four. Hamstring was in training camp. Final day that Andrew Luck ever practiced, not to be <laughs> – bring that up but i'll never forget that route that campbell had that went viral Mm -hmm. the Uh, separation he gets is just yeah god who did he burn some corner that i don't think is around anymore (laughs) um someone will 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 tweet it at me anyways um i think what we see in march what we see in April draft wise will show a lot of the amount of belief they have in Paris Campbell. And I and I really think in this offense he can just absolutely flourish. But yeah. it's just like Chris, sooner or later, you know, if you get a sixth injury and a seventh injury, how much of it is flukish? And I mean, hell, he gets in a car accident going to right, a right. practice last year and during training camp and boom, he's in concussion protocol. Obviously that's just bad luck. Uh, love loves Pascal bringing him back. He's a restricted free agent. Makes sense. Ty. I'm not sure you have the finances to bring him back and make another splash at wideout, Chris. So mm-hmm. I think that's what you have to decide internally. You know, how do you want to weigh those funds? And I also think what the discussion you have to have is can Ty evolve in now. 31-year-old season. I think he'll turn 32 at some point during it. No 30-year-old wideout with 1,000 yards this past season. So that now, I think in the last four years, I believe it's Julio, Edelman, Antonio Brown, and Fitzgerald that have recorded 1,000-yard seasons. Okay. I don't think T.Y. plays like really any of them. And we're talking Antonio Brown four years ago. We're not talking Antonio Brown now. Yeah. Um, Edelman, you know, such a possession guy. And again, that's this was three years ago. Julio speaks for himself, and then Larry Fitzgerald, of course, um, just ages like a mm. fine wine. Yeah. So it, it it's just how much are you willing to put into that market value on him? Um, but Chris is adamant that you know he sacrificed. He was the le- league's leading receiver in 2016, and he's never really sniffed that since then. But he's been accepting of his role and. Outside of him, you know, yelling at the offensive line for allowing ten sacks after losing to Jacksonville, which hell, I probably they, they probably should have been yelled at um, in that 2017 season. Ty doesn't bitch. He doesn't complain. He yep. doesn't, you know, he's that non-diva wideout. So 
Uh, free agency-wise, there's just two different tiers for me, Chris. You've got the Allen Robinsons, the Godwins, the Jujus, the Kenny Galladays. But then you go to that second tier, and they, they won't get the 18, 19 million that maybe some of those guys up top will. But all of a sudden, what if Corey Davis? Mm-hmm. You get the top 10 pick potential. What if Will Fuller stays healthy? You know, there's some other guys, Nelson Aguilar, Rashard Higgins, um, Curtis Samuels, probably a little bit more gadgety, but he's a guy that I really like. Um, again, he's probably too similar to, to Paris Campbell. Marvin Jones is a name as well. I I think what you have to find, and again, it might be Pittman, who's your go-to skill guy in critical moments? Who is it? Who is the guy you're going to big down in distances? Or who's the guy that at least commands the attention to where an opposing defense is? All right, third and eight. Uh, we need two to Pittman. Mm-hmm. We need two to Allen Robinson, whoever. And I look at these final four teams this year. They all had the stud. Devontae Adams, Mike Evans, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, slash Stephon Diggs. I mean, it's just yeah. everyone had that type of guy. So I think it's really important. Again, and I say tight end as well. You know, Ursay mentioned that. A little bit ago. Now, tight end, it's Hunter Henry, and then it really yeah. drops off. Yeah. Uh, Johnny Smith has had a nice little run here in Tennessee as he gets into contract year. You got the Sycamore up in Green Bay, mm-hmm. Tanyan. They got he two is, up there. Yeah, two of them. Um, Dominique Daphne is the other one who was spent a minute here, actually. Uh, Mo Alley is a, is a restricted free agent, so fully expect him back. So, again, wide out and tight end have never been big areas where Chris Ballard has shelled out a lot. Now, draft-wise, you know, they've drafted wideouts early, Pittman, Campbell. Right. Um, but free agency money, you haven't seen it to that degree. So I just think that's something to keep in mind there. And I also look at the five big needs, Chris. Quarterback, wideout, left tackle, D-end, and corner. Of all those positions I feel best about somebody on the roster... It's Michael Pim in a wideout. I'm not there with Rakusin. I'm not there with Kamoko Ture. I'm not there with Ben Banigou. Not there with Jacob Eason. You know, mm-hmm. all these young guys at those spots, I, I'm, I'm just not there with. Pittman, if you're going to make me bet on one of the positions in-house to have a guy that can become that number one, he would be the guy there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, wideout will be fascinating because, again, there's just a lot of depth in free agency and the draft. And it's one of those things of you bring back Hilton and you sign a Rashard Higgins or you sign, you know, I don't know, one of those – Josh Reynolds, I think, from the Rams, you know, just kind of a guy to throw into the mix there. Okay, you know, wh- how does that play out for you? Tight end, we'll see. You know, Burton, they're not slamming the door shut on. I mean, Burton was okay. He had some decent moments. He also had some drops and just – I don't know. If you'd have told me Burton played 13 games, I would have said, I don't know, 40 some catches. I think he had 28. I probably would have liked a little bit more. But having said that, I know he's he's unique and he helped you out in the Wildcat and things like that. So um, I think you got to do something there, but I'm not holding my breath that they do something crazy there. Yeah. Um, thoughts on left tackle? Thoughts on about what Bellard discussed? Obviously, we talked about the Nelson and Braden Smith. Anything else stand out to you? You know, Chris, I, I keep on coming back. I, I I guess one of the big takeaways from Ballard is will they just find the fifth best offensive lineman regardless of position and bring him into camp? I don't really love that approach, to be honest with you. 
you know, I and Joe Wrights is one of the greatest human beings out there. And I just thought his quote to JMV a few weeks ago was so great about, you know, offensive linemen are made, offensive tackles are born. Yeah. Left tackles are right. born, I think might have been the 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 specific aspect. You know, you always hear that, oh, we'll find the best five, we'll pull them together and, you know, shake it up and see what comes out. I mean, is Jeff Saturday going to go play left tackle for you? Right. You know, is A.Q. Shipley going to go play left left tackle for you? Like, I think it sounds a lot better than it really is. So, I kind of like some of the free agent left tackles. And, again, I don't like them long term, but – I feel like there is an opportunity to stop gap a little bit there. Trent Williams is obviously the big name, but you know he's going to cost. Oh yeah, yeah, I yeah, mean. yeah, yeah. But you know, is it a Cam Robinson in his twenties where maybe you get a little bit more? Julian Davenport's a guy that you know was in that Laramie Tunsil situation. Um, and you know, some people have mentioned Joe Haig. God bless Joe Haig. Almost catching that touchdown. Yeah, we got a question about him later. Did you realize that we had someone call in the morning show last week? And said they were betting on a Joe Haig touchdown. I did not know that. No. Yeah. Oh yeah. Thousand dollars. His friend is going to pay him out thousand bucks. <laughs> now he also right claims there. he also claims that his friend uh, he bet that Ray Allen would hit a three to force Game Seven in the 2014-2013 finals. I'm like, who's is this, is this Biff from uh, Back to the Future? Yeah. I'm, uh, <laughs> who Who's the friend? Why can't I get his number? Like, okay, I'll just throw. I'm like, what did you have to pay him for the Joe Haig bet? He's like, oh, nothing. I'm like. <laughs> this is a this is a gambling casino that I I need to get yeah. involved. There's in a here. there's a deeper world we need to dive into. Yeah, especially after Sunday. Um, yeah, it sounds like he's betting on Australian barstool and Italian basketball leagues. Like so, me, baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> getting the old getting the old big win there. Um, by the way, have you gotten your Bills tattoo? I've not. You're gonna. What I'm, are we waiting for? I'm. The weather to get nicer. You want people to really I want see people it? To see it. You know, a little flip flop action. I mean, air it out. We got to hold you to this. I know. I did it to myself. I can't blame anyone. No, that was and that was before the Buffalo Trace shot. Yeah, got to do it. Um, Zach Banner's a free agent. Talk about a a, a blast <laughs> from the past there. Yeah. But you know, Villanueva from Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. Russell Okung. Again, these guys are gonna be pricey. But are there some stop gaps that you can find? Um, having said that, I also think a lot happens when that draft starts to unfold then is if you don't make a move at quarterback you know it seems like that that left tackle class is really good and you know it is something to note of like when you look at past Colts um, eras they have found the left tackle before finding the quarterback the Tarek Glenn right before Peyton Manning Anthony Costanzo right before Andrew Luck mm-hmm. you know is that something and then also I I just think something we need to keep in 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 Mine, Chris. The salary cap is not at the floor. I think a lot of people thought it would be. Having said that, it still has gone down, and there will be cap casualty guys. You know, in a way, that was Xavier Rhodes. That was Justin Houston. So I think we just need to keep in mind, are there any of those that start to develop where it's, you know, twofold. It doesn't hurt your compensatory picks, and then also, you know, you can find a a pretty good player that, Again, financially has led to him going to the open market all of a sudden. Right. There. So, you know, we did DN and corner last week. I wanted to make sure we got wide end and left tackle uh, before. I mean, we, we've gone however long we've gone, and we haven't really mentioned quarterback too much in this podcast. So, we talk about band aid quarterbacks win. 
Kevin, do you would you think outside of quarterback is left tackle the next position where it's clear that you're using a band-aid player over a, a, a draft pick? Um that I would be okay with doing that? Just in general. Obviously, you don't want to band it. You don't want to just keep throwing in quarterbacks. Is left tackle tier two in terms of where you want to solidify a, a position player, or is there another position that you'd want to solidify above the left tackle? I think it's edge rusher. Okay. You know, I think, and, and I know a lot of people look at the Super Bowl and be like, oh my gosh, see what happens when you have, you know, poor offensive line play. I think you have to acknowledge again, they were missing their two starting tackles. Like, right. That's a big deal. We saw the Colts against the Steelers. Like, that's a big deal when you're down two of those guys. But I also saw Shaq Barrett and Jason Peter Paul and Adam King Sue and Vita Vea. Like, when you've got that front and you've got that pass rush, um, that to me probably stands out a little bit more. Just because. You know, you got Buckner at, at, at D tackle. I just feel like you got to find yeah. a more consistent edge rush. All right. Well, we have Jacob Eason on the show today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You um, had a great interview with him. So, like Chris mentioned, uh, we had Jacob Eason on uh, when I was hosting for JMV last Tuesday. Um, this was uh, Panini Sporting Card, the company. Uh, yeah. They helped us out and gave this interview with Jacob. Unfortunately, could only get 10 minutes with them. Uh, but um, we haven't really heard from him at all this season. So. Was really happy that he did have some time for us. And here is uh, Jacob Beeson. And welcome back to the ride of JMV. Kevin Bowen filling in today for John. And let's head to the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline with, I guess he's the only Colt quarterback currently under contract right now. He is Jacob Eason joining us today, courtesy of Panini. Jacob, how you doing today, man? I'm doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. What is, uh, what's the offseason been like so far now? I guess uh, about a month into it. Yeah, I mean, I've, I took a couple of weeks there in the beginning just to kind of reflect and, and take some personal time and hang out with some family and, and you know, my girlfriend and, and lay low for a bit. But now we're getting back into the swing of things, kind of picking things up, you know, making sure I'm staying in shape and, and get back out in the field and, and going through the route trees and all that good stuff. So, you know, I got still got a lot of room to and, and time to improve and grow, and, and I'm looking forward to getting back in there, um, back out to California and, and back to work soon. Will you train in Cali or will you be in Indy much? I'll be, I'll be, you know, back and forth, obviously, with our, with our schedules coming up. But I'll be most of the time in California. Chris Bauer talked at the end of the um, offseason about how he was really struck by kind of your exit meetings and felt like you, you learned a lot this season and really appreciated some of the answers that you gave to him. I guess what, what did you tell Chris in those exit meetings and how would you summarize a year that might have been a red shirt, you know, from a, a playing standpoint, but I'm sure not really mentally? Yeah, I mean, we I, I had great exit meetings with all all of all of my coaches and, and and our GM Chris Ballard. Um, you know, it's basically we we, we kind of just discussed what what, what hap- had happened this season. You know, it was a unique year in terms of not having a preseason and not having OTAs and all that stuff. We had virtual OTAs. You know, what what should you call it? Um, but you know, I think the biggest thing for me was 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 the visualization and seeing and seeing that you know the mental side of the game and 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 how you know Philip and Jacoby and 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 how these coaches coach and all that thing, all those things. Um, it was huge for me just to kind of go in and dissect that and and, and learn and grow. Like every day, just being in the in the meetings with those guys and seeing how you know how they handled the everyday life of you know of being a professional quarterback was was big for me. So. You know, take you know, take that all, and, and you know, I I wrote down a lot of things this season, and and you know, being able to to take what I learned this year and, and head into the off season and, and get ready for next year will be huge for me. 
take me inside those meeting rooms. Are you asking a bunch of questions? Are you just kind of a sponge soaking it all in? What, what's that like given? Yeah, Philip you know, I, you know, I'm not, I, I wasn't a huge question actor this year, you know, just because I am a rookie and, and it was more Phillips show because he was a starter. Um, so I, I'd say, yeah, it was more of a sponge this year and a sponge with a, with a, with a pen pad and a, and a, and a notebook or whatever you call it. Um, no, it was, it was a great year in terms of, of my development from the mental side of the game, like I mentioned before. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of back and forth between OC, head coach, you know, Philip and, and, and our QB coach. So, you know, just being in those meetings and seeing, you know, seeing the questions Phillips was asking, seeing, seeing what we're putting on tape and how, you know, how, how Phillips is, is, is implementing that into the game plan, it was huge for me. So I think it was a tremendous year in terms of development and growth. If you had to narrow it down to maybe one or two things that really struck you about Phillips prep, what would that be? That's a tough question. There's so many good qualities in Philip that it's hard to dissect one or two. But I think, you know, his consistency, not only as a in his preparation, but as a, you know, a leader and a, and a vocal guy in the locker room and just his physical prowess. Obviously, he'd been in the league for 17 years, so guys knew who he was. But he was just a, a, a very consistent a consistent person, which was, which was awesome to see every day. He had the same attitude, you know, you know, his schedule was the same every single day. So just watching how he, how he handled things and, you know, the wins and the losses, you know, that's, you know, it's another important thing, you know, it's a game about winning, but seeing how a guy like that handles, sorry, handles a loss is another, another key thing. So, um, you know, it it was a, a very tremendous year in terms of those things. Jacob Eason joining us here on the ride of the JMB. Uh, thanks to Panini for helping us out with this interview. Um, for those that don't know, Jacob, what are you doing today with uh, with Panini? So I'm down. I'm down here in Dallas with a, with a handful of other rookies from this last year's class, um, signing some autographs, hanging out, t- you know, talking ball with these guys, and, and having some fun. Um, it's good to get to get down here and connect with these guys, and you know, ask them how their seasons went. I haven't seen them since you know the draft and the combine and all that stuff. So. It's been a good, big, been a good couple of days. I have these stories. I remember riding the bus in elementary school and ripping some kid off for a Marvin Harrison rookie card. It still <laughs> kind of keeps me up at night, which shows you probably how big of a loser I am. But did you, did you collect cards back in the day? I did. I wasn't, I wasn't humongous in collecting them, but I definitely had a couple binders full. You know, my, my biggest guy was Peyton Manning. So I had, I remember nice. having, you know, six or seven sheets full of his cards, which was, you know, which was awesome back in the day. Uh, and obviously Peyton probably going definitely going into the Hall of Fame this, <laughs> this weekend as a first ballot guy. Um, transitioning back to that rookie year, I remember being at those Lucas Oil practices you had mm-hmm. and, and and really threw the ball really well. And I felt like maybe that was like your only real, real practice time because you you ran the scout team, right? When Philip got hurt a little bit. Oh, uh, yeah, towards the tail end of the year. Yeah. So how lim- – I guess what, what was a normal week like for Jacob Eason, you know, Monday through Saturday? Um, I mean, it was the same as everyone else, you know, just showing up, you know, because, you know, especially this year, you never know what's going to happen. You know, one guy could test positive. That could lead to, you know, three other guys sitting out. So it's it was it was a very unique year in that sense. You know, my my process was, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not the starter this year, but I'm going to prepare like I am and, and still, you know, still actively participate in, in meetings, Not you know, not asking a ton of questions, but but – mentally being locked in and loaded so um you know from the preparation standpoint I you know I prepared like you know I was I was gonna go out there on Sundays you know obviously I didn't but and then when when it was Sundays you know I had the the call sheet and all that good stuff and I was and I was and I was watching and and trying to learn and see the dialogue that you know what what Philip was doing and and this and that so I think you know from the from the preparation standpoint and, and and being in a room with those guys it was huge 
I talked to Marcus Brady last week. He mentioned kind of footwork, maybe being the biggest physical aspect to it. Is that would you narrow that down to kind of the biggest physical thing you wanted to work on in your rookie year? Yeah, I mean, I think there's always room for improvement in everything, you know, whether it's whether it's the fundamentals and the mechanical side of the game or the mental side of the game, you know, and I try to take, you know, one or two things a day and, and, and work on those things. Yeah. Um, Marcus is Marcus is really good at, at, at coaching the the uh, the fundamentals and physical side of the game. And we went out there and practice three, four days a week, whatever, you know, depending on the week and and worked on those things. So uh, going into the offseason, you know, I got a handful of things I've, I've written down that I want to, you know, uh, start start working on and and we'll go from there individually what would you say is your biggest goal going into year two I think my biggest goal is just to be as prepared as possible for you know for whatever might happen you know it's there's no telling um what goes on and and you know I think just from my from my perspective I think just being as prepared as possible for whatever the situation may be and then when that when the opportunity presents itself then, then go take it so um you know I'm excited to to get back to Indy and, and obviously attack this offseason you mentioned that list. What what are maybe some of those things on the list that you're really focusing on? Yeah, I don't want to get into too much detail, but uh, you know, from the mechanical side of things, it's just you know being more consistent. You know, consistently throwing that those you know those accurate balls and, and making sure my feet are are set underneath me. And you know, I think there's a, there's a handful of things that that go along with the with the fundamental side of things that kind of all connect together. And so it'll be really honing in on the small details of, of being consistent, being accurate, and, and all those good things from the footwork, from the ground up. Um, and obviously the mental side of the game, there's always room for improvement, whether it's protections, scene coverage, um, going through you know our own progressions and all that stuff. So there's a lot of things that I'm looking forward to, uh, to continue, continuing to improve on this offseason. And, uh, yeah. We'll end with this. Uh, you got a favorite spot in Indy? I know, obviously, it was a kind of a crazy year. But, it was. Uh, Favorite spot, you know, obviously St. Elmo's is a big one. I went there for uh, a couple times this offseason, but, you know, it, or not this, this season. It's, it's hard. It was hard to, to get out and get around there just because, you know, I didn't want to – I was trying to stay COVID safe, and, you know, there's a lot of responsibility on the line there. So, um, hopefully next year things will things will be a little bit different as to where we can, you know, go out with and, and be around people. So, I'll give you a better answer next year. <laughs> I think I speak for everyone in Colts Nation. They're excited to see on the field, hopefully, first and, you know, maybe OTA's training camp, but certainly the preseason get some game action. So appreciate the time today, Jacob, and enjoy the offseason, man. Absolutely. Thanks, Kevin. And right there, Jacob Eason, the most talked about Colt, certainly on yeah. social media, by far there. Um, didn't want to give a, give away all the secrets, Chris, you know, on, on what he's working on, but I do know footwork was probably the biggest physical aspect to it, and I did find, I don't know about you, I found the Rivers answer interesting about the biggest takeaway was just the amount of consistency you have to approach right. every game with. Um, you know, college football's weird. You know, it's, it's oh, one week you're playing Eastern Washington, the next week you're at BYU, now you're playing a conference game, and sometimes you're playing on Friday, you know, sometimes you're playing on mm-hmm. different nights of the week, and, you know, games might not have the same magnitude. Obviously, you've got kids on campus telling you, Oh, that team sucks. Or, you know, <laughs> oh, you guys didn't cover. Oh, boy, this girl wants to talk to you. You know, right. got a lot of distractions in a much different way in professional football. So I do think that how well he observed and now translate that into his own work of what he watched Philip Rivers do will be a huge part of his development. Huge. I was very impressed. Obviously, this is a, a minute thing. Some might think uh, for me it was a, a big takeaway for whatever reason. 
how quickly he answered all the questions. There wasn't a lot of uhs, ums, yeah. thinking about it. He was ready to go with everything that you asked him. I thought you asked some great questions. And I was impressed that he was ready to just fire off and go. He's on top of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I remember Nick Sirianni saying earlier this year that he did feel like from a classroom standpoint, translating that to the field, the mental processing, which was a question, is something that they felt like he did a better job of. Now, again, mental processing with a red jersey versus right. Excuse me, with a white or a blue jersey on, a little, little bit different. But, um, yeah, I was glad that we were able to have Jacob. I think we'll have Naeem Hines on next week's podcast mm-hmm. as well. So been fun to get a few of these guest interviews in here, and I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that. And like I've mentioned the last couple of weeks, man, this offseason just does not feel like an offseason yet. There's just so much movement. We're still waiting for dominoes to fall from a quarterback perspective. Are we going to bring back Xavier Rhodes? I mean, there's still a lot to talk about on this podcast week in and week out. There's tons. We're going to have a beers with bone at some point. Um, we got to figure that out, but we definitely will. And and we aren't even too like the brunt of the favorite time, which is really the draft. Yeah. I mean, that's when things get, you know, super excited and just so many scenarios. So. Uh, we're going to keep it coming, and uh, I guess now that we do get in Twitter questions, we probably should talk a little bit of quarterbacks here. The first question we're going to jump into, Kevin, is from Jacob and David. They both want to know, okay, do you think the Colts would have gone to the Super Bowl if they would have gone all in on Tom Brady? And I think it's a question that a lot of people asked themselves the other night. Yeah, this is a popular one for me late on Sunday, well into Monday as well. Um, first things first, did Brady slash Giselle want to come here? <laughs> That's... I laugh, but it's a, true, you're, it's a true question. I love Indianapolis. I love the state of Indiana. Love, 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 love. Don't know. Don't. You're, you're not You're not moving into Derek Jeter's mansion yeah. in Indianapolis. Yeah, I just can't see that. Nice homes, beautiful homes. Um, lots of great places to live. Not sure um, Giselle and, and Tom would have been here. Uh, that's first. And I want to make this very clear. The MVP of the Super Bowl on Sunday night should not have been Tom Brady. It should have been Todd Bowles and that entire defense. Yes. Tom Brady, uh, extremely impressive throughout their playoff run at moments. You know, when, when you look at the stats, they aren't like, oh, you know, yeah. incredible. I think he was like a 50% passer for several of those games. But still, in big-time moments, he delivered. But let's make this very clear. Their defense set the tone. So, yeah. uh, is Shaq Barrett coming? Is Jason Pierre-Paul coming? Vita Vea, the Colts loved in the 2018 draft, uh, or 2017 draft, I all the drafts kind of run together at this point. But, um, yeah, no. Uh, Tampa's D-line, that front seven, Devin White, they were the MVP. Tom Brady here, uh, maybe you maybe you win the division. Uh, maybe you're the third or fourth best team in the AFC instead of the seventh seed. Uh, maybe, uh, I don't know, get to the divisional round, something like that. But, no, I, I, I don't think with, um, with Brady all of a sudden you are a Super Bowl winning team or anything like that. And it is funny how we talk about just how much luck can play into these things. You know, if Jared Cook doesn't fumble in that divisional round game, do the Bucks get out of that game? I mean, they're down. Saints are driving to go up two scores at that point. You know, if Tampa's playing behind two scores with just about a quarter to go, who knows? It's funny how just you know, plays like that and how the parity of NFL, especially playoff games, is so close. But, yeah, yeah Tom Brady here, no. Uh, the Colts do not win a Super Bowl. Okay, that's fair. Let's jump down to Sam and Jason. They both do you disagree kind of, with that? You think you think Brady here, the Colts won it all? You know what? I, and, and again, I thought Rivers played played you know, pretty well. I mean, maybe Brady improves the standard and, like, 
I don't know, Grant comes here and something like that. But I, I Looking know. at, and again, there's a lot that goes into every game. It's not just one play. It's not just one person. The run that he went on to beat Breeze, Rodgers, and Mahomes, I just try to take myself through, okay, so first round we're playing Buffalo. Is he going to beat Josh Allen? Maybe. He did it for a while. Then you move on to Patrick yeah. Mahomes, who he just beat, and then you move on to where? Yeah, I, I just think it's more than just Brady versus Allen, Brady versus Patrick Mahomes. They, I just, again, I thought their defense set the tone, and their defense was really darn good all year long, and I thought Kansas City's offensive tackle situation was a huge part of that. You know, did they beat Kansas City when Eric Fisher's healthy? You know, I don't know. I mean, Mahomes run for his life. He also had three or four balls hit dudes in the helmet. It's like, <laughs> I think we're kind of underselling Rivers to a degree if Brady comes here as well. I mean, Rivers and Brady have pretty similar numbers. Now in the playoffs, it could be a totally different animal. But, again, I feel like when they got Devin White back for that New Orleans game, that yeah. defense rose, and especially inside the red zone, was just tremendous. So, And you're right. You look at Bowles, his 10 years, you know, the last decade – He's always had one of the top defenses, and then he got kind of screwed with the Jets, which good for him to get out of there. Yeah. I mean, even though they let him go way earlier than I think they should have, he's the defensive standard. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's always been known, you know, with Bruce Arians in Arizona. Yeah. Uh, you know, certainly been, been known as one of the best defensive coordinators in the league. All right, Sam and Jason want to know, are we sure that investing in the offensive line is a bad thing? The Chiefs are loaded at wide receivers, tight end, defensive end, quarterback, and they just got smoked. Tampa won by being strong in their front seven, good quarterback play and scheming things open. Is Ballard right on the team building? Yes, I know that Tampa's receivers were great all season, but nothing exceptional in the Super Bowl. Boy, I, I got a lot of this, Chris, r right away. Um <laughs> Yes, the Chiefs got boat raced in the Super Bowl. Again, down their two starting offensive tackles. And do we forget, like, the Chiefs had just won 25 of 26 games? Yeah. Like, I feel like people, <laughs> all of a sudden people are acting like, oh, my God, this is just goes to show you that if you invest in this and that. Well, I'm like, Chiefs are pretty darn good with – out an offensive line that I think we consider top three or four. And, like, they're missing Eric Fisher, a former number one overall pick, and Mitchell Schwartz, who's a very good player as well, on the opposite side. So, you know, you take Anthony Costanzo and Braden Smith out of the lineup here, and it's not going to look great. Um, and, again, Tampa's strength, if you would have called one position group their best, I would say it's their defensive line. Maybe their wideouts, but I would say their D-line is their strength. So it, it matched up perfectly. How to disrupt Mahomes. Their most injured group is also what has to block our best group. So, I don't, you know, is Ballard right on team building? I think build, building through the trenches is just fine. I also think you need to have a stud at quarterback. And that's very apparent from what we saw mm -hmm. out of those final four teams and Kansas City making it to three straight AFC championship games. And, uh, you know, really could have easily been in that 2018 Super Bowl and obviously in these last two Super Bowls. So, I just think it goes to show you, Chris, a little bit of just offensive tackle depth and that, you know, you can get by maybe without one offensive tackle, but you got that second one out. And, again, I know it's difficult to find. We saw it with the Colts here, but, you know, it just it just goes to show you that the importance of 7, 8, 9 up front could be more clear. Yeah. 
All right, we're going to go now to Sinclair, who asked about a gentleman that we talked about a little bit earlier. Do you think that the Colts could be interested in bringing Joe Hegg back and have him compete or take over at the left tackle spot? You know, I, I like Joe Hegg. I, I think he's a nice kind of six-man, seventh-man, Chris, but I would probably like a little bit more of an upgrade, to be honest with you. You know, it, it's not the worst thing in the world, but I can't recall Joe Hegg playing a whole lot of left tackle when he was here anyways. I think he did a little bit, but but not as much as he played guard or played a right tackle. So, um, yeah, I'd probably want a little bit more. Are we going to have a Wentz-Hegg reunion? Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, they are boys. Yeah. Yeah, the North Dakota State connection. There aren't many of those in the league. There are yeah. not, no. Yeah, you can see that. Let's stay with North Dakota State here for a second with a question from Beans. Do you see a kind of similar play style between Carson Wentz and Trey Lance? They both went to North Dakota State, and Wentz worked with Reich. Could it work with Lance? Yeah, it's, um, you know, you can make some similarities. I don't see very, you know, tons and tons of similarities. And I guess we'll, I'll use this time like, to talk a little bit about the Carson Wentz situation. Um, the Colts have very real interest in Carson Wentz, Frank Reich. You might call Carson Wentz the son Frank Reich never had. I mean, like, he loves, loves, loves Carson Wentz, and I think he really, really believes that he can resurrect him. Now, again, it's at what price, and we know compensation means a whole lot. I've seen some people in Philly have talked about, you know, do you involve players in this situation? You know, is this something where Zach Ertz gets involved? He's been a name that's been rumored. Obviously, the Colts would then need to send some people, and then you've got the Nick Sirianni, Jonathan Gannon situation. They know the Colts roster on both sides really well. You know, Philly needs DB help, as as Jonathan Gannon said. You know what? Rocky C needs to change the scenery. Let's let's bring him here. Um, that I think is just a part of it. That you know we heard the Colts maybe floated some players to Detroit for Stafford. I think that's something to keep in mind in all this. Um, but man, if this happens again, it is um, it's Frank Reich's full on belief, and it's Chris Ballard saying, you know, I believe in you about Philip Rivers, and now I'm going to believe in you about Carson Wentz, and. You know, the thing about Wentz, it's it's interesting. I feel like of the somewhat available quarterbacks, realistic options, he probably offers the highest ceiling. You know, he's played at an MVP level before. Right. Even 2018, 2019, he played at, you know, better than average quarterback play. Now, last year it was just terrible, um, awful. How much of it was Wentz falling apart? How much of it was, I think they had 14 different offensive line starting combinations in 16 games. Um, was Wentz broken to a degree? There were some questions about how he handled coaching. I don't know. That would kind of worry me a little bit right. at that position as well. But I feel like Wentz and, and Reich align a whole lot off the field as well and how they live their lives. Now, some might totally rule that out. Some might say, oh, I don't give a shit about that. Like, I felt like Frank was too close to that of Vinatieri, and it impacted his decision-making there. Fair, honest. Um, you know, that that's something that I, I guess you, you, you should bring up. But, again, when you're talking about a higher ceiling, I do think Wentz offers you that sort of potential. Um, you know, Philly drafted a decent amount of skill guys, but, again, their offensive line just felt like broke down. You know, rightly or wrongly, I just don't know how much he was a big city guy. You know, did that play into it as well? Um, and I think when Frank got to Philly, 
what was that, 2016, I think he became the OC there. I believe the Eagles had like the 13th overall pick that year. And then they, they traded up twice. They traded up to eight with Miami, the Kiko Alonso thing. Then they traded up again to two to get wins. Got to think Reich had a big influence on that. So he's always been a believe, believer in Wentz. And obviously that 2017 season, man, was magical Yeah, in a lot of ways. No one was better on third down and in the red zone than Wentz. You know, he's a great seam ball thrower vertically. I think he's got a nice arm to kind of pump it in there. Um, but there are some questions. There's a reason why the Eagles are bailing 20-some months after they gave him such a big deal. He's only started one playoff game. That playoff game was a loss. I mean, yeah. There are fair questions to raise a red flag. I don't know about you, Chris. I feel like from Twitter, I, I feel like more skepticism from Colts fans. Now, maybe it's the compensation. You know, the two first-round picks or right. whatever you want to throw in there. But if you're going to try and appease veteran vision slash potential to win now, with also being able to potentially ride this out for a handful of seasons. Wentz is probably the closest thing you're going to get free agency trade-wise. I, I, like, who else? I mean, we don't know if Derek Carr is on the market. Right. You know, is Darnold? I mean, Darnold's never played at the level that, that, that Wentz has. Ryan. Darnold's never been in this system yeah. either. Now, would Darnold be cheaper? Of course. But to me, it's almost like you don't totally throw compensation out the window, Chris. But like I've said with the draft so so often, no one name me what Kansas City gave up to go get Mahomes. What right. do you do? It costs them an extra third round pick. Yeah. If you hit on the guy, if the Rams go out and win two Super Bowls in the next four years, huh, no one, no one will say, "Man, I really wish they had that number thirty two overall pick in the twenty twenty three draft. Mm-hmm. They could have gotten who <laughs> like no." So again, and I know that's not how you have to think. Like, yes, there is some level of compensation where it just gets too rich. But I also believe that if you have that confidence and you're steadfast in that guy, right? Yeah, maybe. Now I'm team draft, as I've stated numerous times. But I think I said on last week's podcast, or maybe called podcast ago. If you're going to make me rank the current realistic QBs out there, it'd probably be Car One. And again, how realistic is he? I don't know. Probably wins two. And then Darnold would be three. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Yeah, and not to not to get too off topic, but just jumping back based on what you said there to Ballard, you also have to hit on him. You can't just jump up in the draft. You have to you have to jump up and you have to hit on the player you're picking. You will never hear me say that that's easy to do. Never. It is very difficult to do, and there's been so many teams, clearly the Rams and Eagles, mm-hmm. that felt like they had the guy at one point, and now they're both bailing on the guy. It's not easy. But just because it's not easy means you should be scared from doing it. And right. if this draft class has the five or six QBs that can go top 15, top 20. But, you know, it's – last thing on wins. You know, Mike Groh was his OC in Philly after Frank left. Mike Groh's here. There's been some reports from Philly there was a disconnect here. Now, Press Taylor has been rumored to be kind of the QB passing game guy coming over. Wentz really likes him, but then some people from Philly. And, I mean, these are – I'm going on Philly radio tonight. Yeah. I'm like, oh, boy, am I going to be just <laughs> – are they just going to rip me a new one? Um, they say that Press Taylor and Carson Wentz are super close, but the Press Taylor was too coddling to Carson Wentz. And Carson, you know, took advantage of that and maybe didn't listen to him as much. And, again, this is all Philly – Philly smoke, but um, 
I also think coming back to the Ballard quote, Chris, that he mentioned with Dan about how there's a reason why guys are on the trade market. There's a reason. Yeah. Was that in reference to anybody? I don't know. Maybe not. But it's just something that I've that I've thought about as well. Yeah. Love the chess match that those GMs. You want wins? I don't know, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> it's to the point where it's like Whoever we get, I'm gonna spin some sort of tail in my head to be like, no, you know, he was a, you know, once was the number two pick. This, you know, he would have been won the MVP had he not torn his ACL. I mean, I'll spin it regardless. However, I need to spin it to sleep at night. But yeah, I'm to the point where I'm just ready to see where the chips fall. Yeah, and go I, from there. I think a lot of people are. Yeah. Now me, I'm not. I, I want to keep this talk going until April. Oh well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> April yeah. Right. But uh, <laughs> but no, I I. I, I totally get that. And again, I think there are a lot of pros and cons. I've written a piece on 1075thefan.com that details a lot of the Frank Reich angle mm-hmm. with all of this. I encourage people to check that out. Um, I, I think it's just some stuff that we haven't really talked a whole lot about, Wentz related. So um, go ahead and uh, find that up, up on our website. Let's stick with that Ballard conversation with a question from Denny. He says, with Ballard saying that there's no trade going down today, and this was him speaking obviously last week with Dan Dockich, with Wentz, do you think that they will make an offer? Or is it him kind of steering away from it saying we aren't going to go that way? I think it's him steering away from Howie Roseman saying, ha, 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 that's the trade package? <laughs> Literally. I think there's interest, valid interest, compensation. Yeah. I think I think that's that's the million-dollar word in Chris Ballard's eyes. This one's from Shot said, I don't like Ballard's response about Jacoby, Kevin, saying that he'll be in the mix. Oh, boy, is this going to be a long offseason. I've listened to it twice, and it's full of information, but, man, nothing scares me more than the enthusiasm he said it with. Glad he identified the holes at the premium positions and plans to address them, but none of it matters if he goes with Jacoby at quarterback. You know, um, <laughs> there's been a lot of this, and there's a lot of this chatter in our um, cult beat colleague group text about about Jacoby um what do you say Dan asked them very specifically like in the mix to re-sign or in the mix to play and Chris said both right and I think that got a lot of people being mm-hmm. like oh boy this Friday commute home just just <laughs> just took a wrong turn um Chris I might be reading too much into this but I think this is where we're at last year Chris Ballard uttered the phrase about Jacoby the, the jury is still out I thought it was a very fine phrase to use. I didn't think it was damning. I don't think it was a rip of the player by any mm-hmm. means. I thought it was a very um, fine statement to describe that. Um, now, some might say, oh, no, the jury certainly <laughs> is in, and they have reached a conviction for, for sure. But, again, it, I thought it was a fine comment. Ballard hated the fact that he said that. Hated. He regrets saying that. Is he now going the other direction and so afraid to say anything publicly damaging of Jacoby right. that he's saying these sorts of things, even though his actions will say otherwise. Because then he say he called him or, you know, yeah. he was like, yeah, called him and apologized I, I felt, I felt for, terrible yeah. for saying it that way. Right. Which, you know, that's fine as GM if, you know, he feels like. And that's Chris. You know, Chris is many times feels like, um, you know, it's a very player-driven thing with mm-hmm. with him. I know that full well and, and won't go too deep into that. But um, the Ursay aspect to that presser, you know, Jim speaks for 50-some minutes, talks about quarterbacks for 35 of it. Right. 
no Jacoby Brissett anywhere in that. That obviously happened last two weeks ago. Chris talks a week later. Again, is this Chris trying to – and I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into that, but I just – yeah, I just – no, right? No. Yeah, no. No? Please no. <laughs> just nothing – don't take anything away from the guy. Obviously, no. a Walter Payton nominee does a yeah. lot for the community. And, and, and like him as a football player, a very good backup quarterback. Yes. A, again, going back to your functional spot duty starter, fine. But functional for 16 games to the point of you got to win in January? Yeah. We've seen it. Mm-hmm. We have seen it. I had someone calling in the other day telling me that, oh, you're an idiot, you know, you – you, you, Carson Wentz and Jacoby are the same. You are the same. They've got the same career arc. I'm like Jesus. <laughs> when, when was Jacoby? You know, uh, number one team in the whatever NFC, and right. it's December, and these put up these MVP type numbers. The best on third down, the best in the red zone. Like, it was a five and two record for the Colts with a bunch of one possession wins, and it was, you could see that that was not going to sustain. And I, and I'll also say this. About Jacoby. When he came back from that knee injury and played out the rest of the season, the one player publicly that made it very clear that the injury was no hindrance on him down the stretch was Marcus Brady, his then quarterback's coach, now offensive coordinator. Right. He made it very clear. Oh, no, that injury was fine in mid-November, late November. And then look at Jacoby's final four games that Tampa Bay, New Orleans – Whatever, Carolina, Jacksonville, I think it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are numbers that'll, you know, want to gouge your eyes out with. So, again, fine player, but I don't, I don't <laughs> believe he'll be in the mix as much as you just read it off the table. Like right. That. Benji and Richard both want to know, in, in regards to Colts contingency draft picks and the plan for a quarterback, do you look for a partner to move up? If nothing happens, you draft needs like left tackle, edge, and corner. You bring in Eason, you let him play out a year. If he struggles, then you use the 2022 first-round pick for the quarterback. This sounds like maybe some of your burner accounts, Chris, based <laughs> off what you said last week. Um, you know, it's it's not the worst idea in the world to me. But, again, I cannot see Ballard ever, Reich ever going down that road. But, I mean, yeah, it's... It's intriguing. It's it, it makes some sense on, on many levels of like you're further building a team around this right. guy. You're seeing Eason. You're having a 16 game dress rehearsal. All of this, um, theoretically, if he bottoms out, you have the high draft pick. If not, you're continuing to build around him. Yeah, I mean, all of those check the boxes. I just know how NFL teams operate, and they right. rarely do this. And uh, I would say the Colts would be on the end of the spectrum that would never do it. But hey, we're just cracking the window. Yeah. I- <laughs> You know, oh, we're cracking the window this week. <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to be a lot of snow out there for the. We had local. the power go out of the Bowen household yesterday. We had oh, Rosie no. come come home sick from daycare, and uh, Kevin's cell phone stopped working unless he was on Wi-Fi. It was like sweet, nice. It's like Monday or Friday. Like what? Yeah. Can we breathe? Yeah. There was there was some wine drank in the Bowen household on on Monday night. All right, we'll keep that wine bottle open because we have a question from Andrew. Ooh. About Andrew. Oh God. <laughs> Every media personality we around might the need Colts. That Trace. Is that, is that <laughs> we still got some. Every media personality around the Colts acts like Andrew Luck. Question is QAnon. I believe I said that right. I'm not really. Uh, <laughs> wow. I, I don't know. Andrew was going there. Okay. <laughs> level conspiracy theory. But if you are Ballard, you have to make the call, don't you? Also, 
How has Luck stayed in Indy all this time without being bombarded with quarterback thirsty Colts fans begging him to come back? Wow, that's a lot there. Um, yeah, I you know I uh, I think I said this on JMV last Wednesday. I don't laugh off the luck questions. I don't because he shocked everyone out there with yeah. his retirement. If he were to ever come back, he would shock us again because that's him and that's his team. His team is his uncle, who was his, you know, his uh, I think his mom's. Mom married Will Wilson, um, so it's not you know the Oliver Luck side of it. It's mm-hmm. it's um, it's his mom. So Will Wilson's his agent. Will Wilson, I don't think represents any other NFL players. So he has no agenda, let alone it's his freaking nephew. Like he doesn't need right. to be leaking things to Mortensen or you know Schefter or whoever there. Um, you know how has Luck stayed in India all the time without being bombarded with QB thirsty Colts fans? I He's going to Books and Brews, and he's throwing. You know, he's going to Th- Siam Square. I mean, I don't think he's going to the place. Maybe the 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 diehards of the diehards go. Mm-hmm. And I th- I haven't talked to a lot of people that have seen Luck in public, but a few, and they're like, you know, he's fine. He takes a picture with my kids, and I don't know, <laughs> or that many people like Andrew. Man, you got to come back, dude. We do anything for you, like yeah. you know, knowing Andrew, he just tip his cap and walk to his car. Yeah. Like I don't. And it's different when you're in person. People say they would say. When you're, 100%. When, when you're yeah. face-to-face with Andrew right, Luck, exactly. it's, hey, man, really appreciate all the great memories. Hope you're doing well. 100%. Oh, hey, Mr. Shaq. Wow, you're a lot bigger in person. It's like seeing David Baker from the Hall of Fame. <laughs> oh, my God. He's huge. There, it's, he's, he's the huge. biggest human being I've seen in person. They're bigger than Yao Ming. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, Ursay, you know, I thought put out that fire. You know, pretty. The, the one thing I didn't like about Ursay's comment was Colts fans need to digest this. He had that phrase in there. I'm like, well, Jim – you're the one that keeps – screw the window. You've got the door wide open. Right. And, like, again, you can con- – Ursay and Ballard and Reich, they all have conversations with Andrew Luck. You have the conversation. And as Chris says, and, or Jim certainly says, like, he would tell me if he wants to come back. I don't need to pry this. It's not like Andrew Luck in 10 years is going to be like, hey, you never asked. All you got to do is ask. <laughs> <laughs> screw that. If you're going to make me, like, you know, pick and prod like that, right. like, no, you've got to be – you can't be 100% in. You got to be 110% in as I, you know, utter my high school call high school football coach like first day of two days. No, we can't be 100%. We got to be 110. <laughs> uh what's Joey's coach name? Coach uh, Burns. Coach Burns, yeah. yeah. I feel like I'm coach Burns right now. <laughs> but right, again, just just lastly on Ursay. There's a reason why I asked Jim or, or on luck. There's a reason why I asked Ursay that question a few weeks ago. Yeah. You have to ask it. You never know what he's going to say. I've heard crazy morsels from this and that and and not even just from like people here in town i mean we're talking like this person who's coached luck and and at a different stop and like and i'm just like whoa this is the most i've ever heard it they're all ran and i'm not talking about homeboy mike who created the fake text and all that yeah. no 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 i'm not even talking about that i'm not like other stuff and i'm like it's you know he's under the team control you know his five-year extension you know extends through through this year so i'm like you gotta ask him Mm-hmm. And I'd feel like an idiot. And if it were ever to happen, it would happen in this month. You know, Luck's not a dumbass. He right. knows full well that they need to know how free agency rolls and everything. But um, as Chris said to Dan, he will not be the starter in 2022, and he's not coming back. Or 2021, he's not coming back. So there we are with the old Andrew Luck. Well, let's keep it with Luck just a tad from a longtime listener question from JJ. 
said, I haven't heard much about the Colts being culpable in Luck's retirement. Everyone in town blames Luck for bolting, but no one blames the Colts for not having a clue that he might retire or sit out another season. It seems to me that there was more signs that he wouldn't play than that he would, and there's no backup plan in case he quits. What are your thoughts on that? JJ, what's your backup plan? Draft Sam Darnold? Draft Josh Allen? I, like, boy, you talk about red flags right then in April. I yeah. mean, Andrew Luck played in the Pro Bowl after that 2018 season. I mean, if dudes are if dudes have a fingernail that just didn't get cut properly, they're not playing in the Pro Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, and that Pro Bowl is terrible weather. Uh, and he's playing in it. Like, no, I mean, Jacoby was your backup. That's, again, a more than adequate backup quarterback. I have no issue whatsoever. And that was one thing I thought Chris was pretty adamant about with Dan. Yeah. Hey, I did not see this coming. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy's practicing. It's not a serious injury. I don't fault them at all. No. I don't. Does the golf trade confirm that if the Colts traded for Wentz, it would be the Colts who received draft compensation? For example, the Eagles would send Wentz in a second-round pick to the Colts for us taking the cap hit and solving their Wentz problems. Previously, I thought the Colts would have to give up some capital, but golf's, the golf Stafford trade has me thinking otherwise. That's from Jordy. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm very interested to see what the Carson Wentz trade looks like, Chris. Whoever is involved, whichever team, because I am, you know, really when you look at it and you break down his contract, yes, he's under contract for four more years. It's really only a two-year, $47 million um responsibility, mm-hmm. I guess maybe is the word, that the team trading for him would take on. You know, Philly's going to take on a pretty big cap hit. Right. But, again, it's not as damning as you would think. I still feel like you've got to give up a first-round pick for him. I don't know. Maybe that's – yeah, again, I'm not – not all first-round picks are the same, obviously, but I, I think that would be the case there. Um one thing that I feel like Wentz might be the only one, Chris, that would achieve this, but I don't know if there's a quarterback move the Colts could make in the next two and a half months that would rule out the draft for me. Like, Let's say you go make a move for, I don't know, trade a fourth-round pick for Darnold, third-round pick. I have no idea. Maybe it'll cost more for Darnold. Maybe it'll be a second or third. Mm-hmm. Let's go, uh, maybe you sign, you know, Nick Foles to it, or you trade for Nick Foles, and he's your quarterback for two years. W- w- whatever. If that draft board starts falling on April 29th, and that QB starts falling, that cannot restrict you from making that sort of move. Again, I'm a big believer in you go find the guy. The guy doesn't necessarily find you. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. How many times have you really seen a quarterback fall into your lap, quote unquote? But Wince, Wince would maybe be the only one where, like I was saying earlier. There are some long-term ramifications for this move. Not as big financially as you would think. Again, two-year, $47 million. It's notable, but it's not earth-shattering. What really is the long-term ramification is this. Carson Wentz is your quarterback for two years. So, if you go 9-7, and 8-8, and eight, and don't go far in the playoffs, the long-term ramifications is that window that was cracked – now, all of a sudden, those those players are starting to get cracked who you had in those 22, 23, 24, et cetera, ages. Yeah. And now you've delayed the quarterback thing even longer. This question is from Craig. Hey, Kevin, I was wondering about the effects on COVID and how that will affect the quarterback selection for the Colts. Given Eason was not able to participate at all due to no preseason because of COVID restrictions, 
do you think Ballard will lean more towards going with a veteran who can come in, learn the system faster? It's likely COVID will linger into the fall. That seemed to be a major advantage for Rivers, given that he knew Reich and had worked together in the past. Does this make the Wentz, even, Wentz trade even more likely? Craig makes a lot of good points there, but let me make this clear. You cannot, cannot make a long-term decision at quarterback based off COVID and what it might do for the 2021 season. Okay, so you're going to be virtual in the offseason program. All right, training camp might be, I don't know, hair limited. Maybe you play one or two preseason games. I don't care. In no way, shape, or form can you have that short term of thinking. Is it a nice benefit to bring it in Wentz? Sure. And I mean, Ursay pointed out that Rivers had an advantage with being in the system, but no. In no way can I sit here and say that, you know, COVID and the lack of an offseason program and this should impact who you have as your quarterback here in mm-hmm. 2021 and beyond. Like, this is a much bigger decision than just this season. I think oftentimes we for, we just forget about that. Like, okay, who will give you better quarterback play in 2021 than Rivers? You know, there's not a lot of great answers out there for that. Okay, that's it's something we just have to accept. I think, you know, we just got to accept that and we got to move forward with that line of thinking there. Um, so, no, I, I don't think – I get it. It's not going to be, you know – as normal as you would like it to be. But I also don't think it's going to be super, super restrictive. Like, yeah. I think you're still going to play some preseason games. Um, and if not, okay, whoop-de-doo. You still find the best player and you move on. Let's lighten things up a little bit with a question from Spoken Word who read your article on impending free agents. Wants to know, what organizations or situations would you be happy to see Hilton, Jacoby, and Hooker play for? Says personally... He wouldn't, he wouldn't want to keep T.Y., but wouldn't mind seeing him in things in Seattle. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Russell Wilson, Seahawks action. Yeah. Uh, you know, the two teams that keep on coming back for for T.Y., what about Baltimore? I feel like they're always kind of in a quarterback or a wideout need. And then um, and then Miami. Yeah. Yeah, obviously T.Y. from that area and. Tua could certainly use some help. Now, you know, if they take Jamar Chase or Devontae Smith at three overall, you know, maybe that would you know, impact how many touches, but obviously Hilton would make a decision well before that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, you have Devontae Parker, Preston Williams, and then T.Y. Hilton. That's not a bad receiver. And even like a Hilton mentoring a young Jamar Chase or Devontae Smith, you know, that would be pretty right. enticing if I'm, if I'm Miami there. Um, now, T.Y. might say, well, boy, I'd like someone that can get it vertically to me a little bit more than than Tua, and we'll see if they open it up things open up things more for Tua. Jacoby, you know, I've said, what about New England? What about Washington? Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like they're really up in the air. Hooker, I don't know. I Find me some single high defenses that he can kind of roam back there. And I really hope Anthony Walker finds – I know he didn't mention Walker. I hope Anthony Walker finds a good landing spot for him. Yeah. Omari listens to the podcast weekly. I love that. Thank you, Omari. Says, I think we really need quarterback, most of, but most importantly, a mobile one. He said, I'd stay away from Wentz, but what other choices do you think best fits the Colts? Personally, he likes Sam Darnold and the connection that he might be able to make with Reich, but he also likes Mac Jones from Alabama. What are your thoughts on that? Also, to all the Colts fans, can we stop with the Jacob Eason talk? He's a fourth rounder for a reason. No, we will not stop with the talk. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. That is, um, was that directed to old Chris Presley there? 
bring it on. Let's go. We'll, we'll, it's, it's something that needs to be talked about. Um, so he wants mobile. Yes. I think Wentz is fairly mobile. I mean, I don't like. He's more mobile than Mac Jones. Mac Jones is yeah, going to be. Yeah. An, he's going to be your traditional pocket passer. That's a great point. You know, the whole Mac Jones one is going to be fascinating to me, Chris. Like we've only seen Mac Jones operate with creative players. Uh, created, not creative. Uh, maybe they are creative as well, but they're like video game. Yes. Like, Najee Harris, did you see him hurdle? The guy from Notre Dame? <laughs> yeah. Nick McLeod, I think it was. I think Nick McLeod's like fairly tall and just. Yeah. Um, yeah, Darnold definitely has some athleticism and some arm talent as well. So, again, when I say mobile, I'm not talking anything. You know, we don't need Usain Bolt back there, but just a little right. bit of subtleties in that movement. Did you see the um, – I retweeted early Monday morning. Did you see the, um, the the drawing of Mahomes' scrambling versus Brady scrambling? No. Like what that looked like? Uh-uh. So someone like, you know, computer-generated, you know, some plug-in, a bunch of – I have no idea how it was made. But basically, Brady scrambled to, like, in the pocket, his movement, a yard here, a foot here. Yeah. They added up, like, 37 yards for the whole game. Mahomes, how much? How much do you think? I did hear that it was close to 500 yards, yeah. right? Yeah, four and a half football fields. Nuts. <laughs> the amount of times he went left and then right. Like, yeah. every time he was scrambling, he was a double move scramble. And part of me is like, man, can he not step up in the pocket? And then I'm like, wait, Vita Vea and Dominic Sue are right there. And yeah. Just such a cluster. Yeah. And I mean, Easton was a fourth round pick. Yeah, you're right. Um, I do think we forget that at times, but there's tons of growth, there's tons of patience. And uh, some teams are just afraid, I think, to commit to that in early rounds, which I get it. Like, you know, committing to a quarterback like that in early rounds is a risk. Mm -hmm. And the Colts, I think, felt like they were in a position where they could be patient with that for several seasons. And we'll see. Yeah. All right, this is from Colton. Do you think we should draft a tight end this year, possibly Kyle Pitts, or should we trade with or should we ride with Mo? I'm not sure that he can be a true tight end number one just due to the fact that we don't utilize him as much as we should. You know, part of me kind of trusts this team, Chris, in um, finding tight ends later, but I do think Kyle Pitts can be a damn good football yeah. player. Tight end, 21 overall, just a hair rich for me. I get it. If Pitts is Kelsey, it's not rich at all. If Pitts is Darren Waller, it's not rich at all, but I just think he got more pressing needs elsewhere. I agree. And, it's not like Doyle's a free agent. Allie, I mean, Ali Cox is a restricted free agent. Doyle's still got one more year. You could bring back Burton. So, yeah. This one comes from Isaac. Do you th- do teams need to abandon the best possible philosophy when the position that holds the needs as value as quarterback and left tackle? He's going best player? Yes. That, that, that debate. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good question. I, I think best player available is a little overrated. Like. Okay. The best player available is a center for the Colts at pick 21. I don't think they're picking a center. Right. If when the Chiefs get on the board at 32 and it's, you know, Kyle Trask is the best player available, I don't think they're taking Kyle Trask. So I, I just think it's all of all always with a grain of position value. And, and Ursay, the era, Ballard has mentioned this before, like you know, he really values trench guys. You know, if it's close with. That, he'll probably go with the trench over that. I, I think that plays into it as well. It's not just, here's the board, and you just peel one off and peel one off. Like, there is some debate over it. And I think you also have clusters, you know? 
34 to 38 on your board can be very, very close together. Mm -hmm. And maybe 44 to 47 is more of a drop, something like that. Yeah, let's not forget that Philip Dorsett was the best available years ago when we made that draft pick. I'll never forget that night. Oh, boy. All right, this question comes from Scotty. Here's why I believe Watson can happen. Watson was a genius in the signing of his most recent contract. He got paid and added a no-trade clause, which means that the Texans can ship him or can't ship him wherever they want, only where he wants to go. Could he want to go to an already-made team while throwing up the middle finger to his former organization? What do you think about that? Yeah, you know, what's middle finger, what's best fit? I mean, Kyle McNair might be the dumbest owner in sports. <laughs> and, you know, I think the Colts are a great, great spot for him. And no one's a perfect spot. But, you know, when you say ready-made team, would he be nervous about what the left tackle looks like? And, again, I, I still just feel like they figure it out. I don't know how you would hope he could fire Jack Easterby, but, like, uh, but yeah, it's uh, I, Scotty. I I don't see Watson just saying Colts are bust. Yeah, I don't see that. Edwards has a hypothetical for you. The Jets call and say they want Darius Leonard, Quentin Nelson, and Jacob Eason for the second pick, and they will throw in Jameson Crowder. Do you do it? Whoa! Give that to me again. Darius Leonard, Quentin Nelson, Jacob Eason. We get the second pick in the draft and Jamison Crowder. Wow. That's a wild trade. Um, man. Darius Leonard, Quentin Nelson, Jacob Eason for the second pick and Jamison Crowder. I'd probably do it. Really? Yeah. Wow. I think quarterback means that much. So the left side of your line's gone? You're, you're okay with just I trying know, to rebuild I that? Know. Okay, so you're drafting the left tackle of the future at 21. Okay. You're saying, Danny Pinter, let's go. Uh, you look at Bobby Okariki and you really say, let's go. You probably re-sign Anthony Walker. I was going to say you keep Walker then, yeah. Sign Allen Robinson. I don't know. Jameson Crowder. I, I, I'll, I'd, yeah. Yeah, I'd rather have a New York pizza. Um, <laughs> some people might say, no, you can't do it because you can't trade Eason. I don't know. Maybe now that I'm talking out loud, maybe it's too rich. But um, I do think quarterback means a whole lot. Yeah. Is that dumb? No. Are you saying no way? Initially, I said no way, but it's nice to hear other people's opinions and thoughts. I think that's why people listen to the podcast, obviously. Yeah. And that's why people ask the question. You don't know unless you ask, right? Yeah. That's a wild trade. Mm-hmm. I trust Chris Bauer to draft. And that- with there, you know, I'm still getting... I'm some my my draft picks. True. And I got a rookie on a rookie. I got a rookie quarterback. Don't have to pay Nelson. Don't have to pay Leonard. <laughs> so me yeah. talking myself into this is hilarious. <laughs> That's true. You do save a lot in cap. Let's stick with Darius Leonard with a question from Tristan. I don't know if you've seen this. You probably have. Darius flirting with the ideas of joining the WWE. Pat McAfee leaving early for outside opportunity makes me a little bit worried. Are you worried about Darius? Oh wow! Is this serious? I know. He, I, I I know he loves WWE. Darius. Yeah, he was. Uh, they did a little promo. I didn't watch all of it, and I and I'm not too in the know with it. But him and Triple H going back and forth at each other, entertainment value was definitely there. Yeah. Um, he'd be a great personality. Yeah. 
I, I can't tell if Tristan's asking this seriously, so I guess I'll answer it seriously. Uh, no, I, I'm not worried. Um, Pat was older. Pat had made some decent money. Mm-hmm. Darius still hasn't got to a second contract. And Pat hated Ryan Grixon. And Pat knew Pat was tired of hurting every day. Yeah, his tired knee. of his knee. Yeah, because mm-hmm. yeah. he's contemplated coming back to the NFL, and he would do th- some workshop things and realize I just my knee's going to flare up every yeah. time. I just can't. Yeah, and uh, Pat has obviously made an incredible career, post football career, mm-hmm. out of this. Darius lives, breathes football. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're doing a Pro Bowl in your side yard for fun, like he put on the pads. <laughs> yeah. He loves oh, football. That was incredible. Yeah, Tristan, great, great, great back-to-back questions here. Right. This one comes from Sean. Will the Colts get a compensatory pick for Sirianni leaving? Just wondering, since Baltimore seems to be getting two thirds as a comp as a comp for their offensive coordinator going to Houston. I well, I, I thought that was just just a minority thing. I thought it was just a minority candidate thing, and David Colley is minority, and so I think that's why I don't. I, I thought I, maybe I need to look into that, Sean. But no, I don't think the Colts would be getting any sort of compensatory picks for Sirianni. Maybe, maybe I need to look into that more. This question comes from John. The Colts are a few teams with a good cap situation this offseason with the cap going down. That being said, there are quite a few other fantastic free agents on the market, a receiver, edge rusher, secondary, and to the lesser extent, tight end. Do you think the Colts could use our $68 million and go get a big fish like Shaq Barrett and Allen Robinson, or do you think Ballard will wait for everyone to use a little bit of cap while they have and get a guy like Carl Lawson and Corey Davis for a significant discount. Yeah, one thing you got to keep in mind again is how much of that cap does he want to let leave for those extensions? Nelson, Leonard, Braden Smith, etc. Again, it doesn't sound like the cap's going down as much. As I mentioned earlier, the cap casualties is something to keep in mind as well. You know, I, I kind of look at it like this, Chris. Okay. If your main guys to sign right now are Al-Qadim Muhammad, I would say Danico Autry. Mm-hmm. I mean, that leaves like 55 or $60 million right there in cap space to go out and you could sign three or four top-flight guys. Now, they won't. You right. know, that's not how it'll unfold, but you certainly will have room. And then you also got to get into, okay, you know, is Chris Godwin getting franchise tag? Is Shaq Barrett resigning? Is... You know, where what happens with the franchise tag? Someone mentioned to me what about Xavier Rhodes? That's interesting. Um boy, Carl Lawson's gonna make some money. Yes. But Corey Davis, that's that second tier free agent that Yeah, you mentioned that. It's probably more in line with kind of how Chris thinks. So um, I'm just going off Ballard press past precedent. I don't know about one of the big fish. Yeah. But he typically likes to wait a little bit and just see what the second-tier group goes with. All right, just a few more here on this loaded podcast. This one comes from a new listener in Isaac. Isaac, thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing if you have on the YouTube for sure. Yeah, thank you for that, Isaac. Man, this is a long podcast. I'm just now looking at the clock. Sorry about that. Wants to know about the priority level of offensive playmakers. Do you think Ballard needs to go out and get someone like a Robinson or Galladay for this team to click? Um... I'd like for it. I mean, Ursay says it's big. I think you need one more. I think you need a dude that can just go do it with the football in his hand. But again, I, I don't. I don't think Ballard views it in that in that same light. Based on this uh, this year's rookie class in terms of quarterback, Chad wants to know where would you rank Jacob Eason? Personally, he has him behind Fields, 
Wilson, Lawrence, and Lance? Boy, it's such a tough question because, you know, Easton obviously didn't play that final season at Washington. Um, so Lawrence Fields, Wilson, Lance. So we'd have Mac Jones and Kyle Trask. Behind, behind yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'd probably put him in that group. You know, Jacob was so good at Washington in the red zone. Then you look at his third down stats, and it's like, oh, my gosh, just an abomination of of, of third down efficiency there. Um, the one thing I'll say about Eason, Chris, is this. There's a standard at quarterback, fairly or unfairly. I say fairly because you look at how much money the quarterbacks make and it speaks right, for itself. Right. You are held to a higher standard from a work ethic, from a professionalism standpoint, from a leadership standpoint. I was listening to an interview earlier this year. I think maybe it was Kyler Murray doing the interview or Larry Fitzgerald doing the interview. And basically one of them said that Fitz kind of took to Kyler after his rookie season been like, hey, man, I know you're more of an introvert. That's fine, but we've got to get you to just be a little bit more of, let's go talk to the O-linemen. Let's go talk to the running backs. Let's go talk to the wideouts. Like, you can't just be in the corner of the library reading a book. And again, there are different personalities with so many quarterbacks. And by no means am I asking, you know, my my QB to be the class clown or be the, you know, super, super vocal. But I just think when you talk about all the boxes, and that's what I worry about with Eason is from a work ethic, leadership, classroom standpoint, is he an 11 out of 10? Or is he a 7 out of 10? 7 Mm -hmm. out of 10 is fine. You're 7 out of 10 at other positions, you can probably get by. But a quarterback to last, right? To play at that level, you got to be higher than that. So I, I just think that's and that's so hard to gauge. And I might be very unfair in that criticism, but it's a concern I've got. Kevin Bryan feels like bringing Peyton in seemed more of like a pandering move. Was he brought in to eventually sell Foles and Wentz to the fans? If the Colts need Manning's input on big decisions, why not just make him a coach or a GM? So I think Brian is referencing, I believe Jim Aiello had this, um, Frank Reich has talked to Peyton about the future quarterback. And um, I have no issues with that no. <laughs> whatsoever. You know, you're obviously calling tons and tons of people to try and get background and you get opinions and then you make your own decision. That's what you do. So, yeah, Peyton is not going to be the GM. Chris Ballard is your general manager. And, he, yeah, for a long time. <laughs> All right, Sean has another hypothetical for you, Kevin. Let's say that Lawrence makes it known that he does not want to play for the Jets. The Jets make it known that they're asking prices three first-round picks and a 2021 second-round pick. If you're the Colts, do you know? Do you do it knowing that Lawrence, that getting Lawrence makes you a contender for at least the next three years, and so you're giving up the late 20s first-round picks? And Ballard has been so good at getting talent in the second and third rounds. Leonard Smith Blackman, for example. Yeah. I'd probably do it. Again, I don't think Trevor Lawrence is generational, generational, but I mean that's it's a lot, but it's not like okay, I'm giving up twenty one and then two more first round picks. I mean it's literally in a way, it's similar to what the Rams feel like they've given up. You kind of have a similar draft outlook to what the Rams do over the next couple of cycles. So um plus I don't look at it like you're a contender for at least the next three years. Again, I'm thinking to myself, I'm a contender for quite a while there and you hope Trevor Lawrence can play good football in the rookie contract. Right. Damon wants to know if you saw Vinatieri on uh, McAfee's 
podcast and show on Sirius, it looks it sounds like Vinatieri is looking to return. You know, it's so funny, and again, it's just a sad mind that I have. I literally thought Sunday morning to myself, I'm like, man, did Adam Vinatieri ever retire? Not officially. Like, you know, I, I was like, yeah, that kind of went quietly. Um, and so then, sure enough, boom, Chris Ballard, or uh, excuse me, Pat McAfee, has Vinatieri on in a Super Bowl preview show, and Vinatieri acted like he was very open to possibly kicking again. Yeah. Says he's finally healthy and battled that knee and longer rehab than maybe he thought originally, and he's not real. I mean, he's definitely not retired by any means. Is he retired? He coached his son up at Zionsville this year. But, yeah, I got the – I don't know if you saw the interview, but I got the impression that Vinatieri, even though he looked like Tim Allen in the interview, I felt <laughs> like he's he, he's open to it. It's, I can't believe he's going to be 49 in December. Yeah. It's good for him. If he's feeling healthy, I don't know who takes the waiver on him, but it's worth a call, right? It's worth at least bringing in for a for training camp or a practice. Not in Indianapolis, but, yeah, somewhere Not here. else. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, no, no, no. I, I I can't do my, my, my heart can't do that again. No, <laughs> nope. Wyatt wants to know if you had unlimited lifetime contracts or if you had an unlimited lifetime contract that was limited to strictly Colts players, name everyone that you would lock down on offense, defense, and special teams. Okay, unlimited lifetime contracts, strictly to Colts players. Um, okay, I like this. This is creative. Nelson, Leonard, Braden Smith, Kenny Moore. Buckner, Pittman, probably Kari Willis. I like. I think Kari Willis could be a really, really good ten-year pro. Yeah, so. I heard his name in rumors about trade packages. Yeah, just that—that's the type of player yeah. you would probably yeah, have yeah, to yeah. give no, up. Fair, so. fair. Yeah, I just—I used to be a good player. Um, so yeah, I, I, the, those those are the names. All right, well, we're going to close out Twitter questions with one more from Trevor about Swag Kelly. I like the idea of bringing Chad, him. Chad Kelly? He goes by Swag, doesn't he? <laughs> I like the idea of bringing him back as a backup. What do you think? Wow. Um, is this also a real question, Trevor? Is he serious? Yeah, they're all serious. I don't believe Swag got picked up anywhere after his – cut here which was like i feel like early in the year september mm-hmm. or something so yeah i don't think um i mean aren't we on to jacob beeson you know I, I i think we've moved on from old swag so good run for chad nice that his last name was kelly but i enjoy watching him i, I thought he's a fine qb he's nice to me but again i talk about you know kind of what it takes to be that quarterback mm. yeah Ugh. yeah yeah that's fair. All right. Well, yeah. that wraps up Twitter questions, Kevin. Cool. Uh, yeah. Oh, boy. It's a long podcast. Hopefully, uh, no Carson Wentz news happens anytime soon or else, you know, whatever. <laughs> so, he's Chris Presley. I'm Kevin Bowen. We'll be back next week. Uh, Naeem Hines on next week's podcast. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, starting next week, man, it's a month till free agency. Yeah. So, we'll get a lot more into that stuff. As always, KBowen1070 on Twitter, where you can find me. He's Chris Presley. I'm Kevin Bowen. Everybody have a great week. 1075thefan.com has all your latest Colts content.